awesome. Hey, well, good morning. Good morning. Are you well this morning? Good. Can, can, I, can I say Merry Christmas? Is, that, is, that too, is it too soon? Too soon? Too early? Who's, um, who's got their Christmas tree up already? Yeah, come on. Okay, who, who, who here's like a, who's a 1st of December Christmas person? You know, like 1st of December, you're going home after, the, after church today, you're going to set it all up. Who's already listened to Mariah Carey's Christmas album? No, no. Who's listened to like a Christian Christmas album? Oh, there was more of a response from, my, from Mariah Carey in the room. That's good. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 1st of December Christmas person. Um, not in the sense that 1st of December, we're going crazy and we're setting all it up, but 1st of December for me is the limit to when Christmas decorations are allowed in our household. You know, like none of this, none of this October, none of this November. The 1st of December, we'll, we'll be, allowed to, be allowed to have some. And I do love Christmas. I love setting up our home, but sometimes it just get, it gets a little bit earlier. You start seeing it out in the mall, and it's like, mm, okay, no, no, it's December 1st is where it is. And actually, today, we, uh, we got up early, and we set up our Christmas tree. Uh, you know, we, we grabbed, our, grabbed our box and grabbed, pulled it out of the cupboard and unpacked it, and we found a place in the house for it, and set it up, and we plugged it in so it has power, and so I took a, took a photo of it this morning for you. Yeah. That's our, uh, that's our kitchen, kitchen bench. That's going to be our Christmas tree this year. We've got, a, uh, we've got a toddler running around and then a newborn to look after, so I think having a, having a real Christmas tree, unfortunately, is probably not going to be that realistic for us. So that's going to be our Christmas tree this year. We'll do some other decorations around the place. You know, we'll make it feel Christmassy, but that's, that's going to be the tree. It's still pathetic. I reckon it's pretty cool. Like, it's, you know, a neon tree. It's just exciting, you know. Christmas is a, is a great season, isn't it? It's a great season. It's a great time to, to be together, to have fun. But especially for those of us who have the hope of Jesus in our hearts, Christmas is a great season. It is a great time of year to remind our hearts again of the greatest gift of all. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in a city called Bethlehem, born as a child, and he was called Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus, our Savior, was born. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He never sinned, nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, but because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, the righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear 
all their sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authority and shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned but died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death but was raised to life in the spirit. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and power accept his authority. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, the love of God that was revealed to us at Christmas time 2,000 years ago, where Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. What a season to celebrate. What a season to be thankful for, to have gratitude in our hearts for, and what an opportunity we have this Christmas to keep that message at the center of all that we do. What an opportunity we have to place Jesus back at the center of our lives and in our hearts and his rightful place where he needs to be. Because when he's at the center, he has access to every part of our lives. Everything we do flows from that point when he is at the foundation of all that we do. Jesus requires our obedience. And obedience is the single greatest thing we can offer God. And in fact, it's all he is ever wanting from us is an obedient heart, a heart that is willing to continue to say yes to him and everything that he has for you. 1 Samuel 15, 22, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of Rams. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Obedience is what God desires. And the promise is, is that obedience will bring you blessing and favor, that when you keep your life in line with God's will, when you make the daily decision to walk in the ways of the Lord, the promise is, is that you will be blessed, that you will find favor. Now, it doesn't mean that our lives are always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to go wrong, that we're not going to face trials, but the blessing of God is that even when you walk through those things, He is with you. That is the favor of God, that regardless of what you face in your life, when you walk through storm, when you walk through trial, the favor of God is that his presence goes with you, that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil, for he is with you. That is the favor and the blessing of God. When, when Levi, my son, was first starting to crawl around when he was about, oh, I don't know how old he was, but when he started crawling around, started getting a bit more active, 
he, um, he used to love coming and playing on the bed with us early in the morning. So he would, he would wake up, and I'd get him up out of his cot, and I'd get him his, his bottle of milk, and he would come have a cuddle with us in bed. It was always really nice. But then once the milk was finished, it was time to play. And, um, and our bed is quite high. We've got quite a, quite a high bed. And so the, the bed was a fun place to, to play around on, especially the edges of the bed. The edges of the bed became quite enticing and quite fascinating to him, and he couldn't understand why I kept telling him to come away from the edge of the bed. He couldn't understand why when he would go to the edge, I would pull him back much to his frustration and keep him away from the edge of the bed. What he couldn't get his head around was the fact that I knew his limits better than he did. I knew that if I allowed him to go to the edge of the bed, he would inevitably fall off and hurt himself, and so I was requiring his obedience, not so I could be a cruel parent, or a killjoy, but because I had a different perspective on the situation, and his obedience to me was going to bring him the blessing of not falling off the bed. And that's like that with God. God has a different perspective on our situation. He's a different perspective. He knows our limits better than we do, and his promise to us is, is that his plans and purposes are always for our good, and so God desires our obedience to him. And as I was preparing for this morning and thinking about the upcoming Christmas season, we actually just finished our Christmas shopping last week, not even December, we had finished it. So I was thinking about Christmas and, you know, yeah, yeah, we're, we're done, we're ready to go. Um, then, no, yeah, there's not much that fits under that tree. Um, but I was, I was thinking about the upcoming Christmas season and, and spending some time in prayer and I really felt God highlight to me how Christmas could never have happened without obedience. Christmas could have never taken place if it wasn't for obedience to his will. And obedience actually undergirds the entire Christmas story. Every major character in the Christmas story was obedient to the Lord. Jesus was obedient to the Father's will to send him to earth. Joseph was obedient in continuing to marry Mary. He was obedient when the Lord told him to go to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. The wise men were obedient when they didn't go back to Herod and tell him where Jesus was born. They went straight home. Obedience is part and a key part of the Christmas story. And I want to look at obedience from two stories, from two Christmas stories this morning that we find in the first chapter of the book of Luke. So here's the first story from Luke 1. When Herod was king of Judah, Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, or Abijah, I don't know how to pronounce that, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And skipping down a few verses, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. A few verses down again, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, so probably about Dave's age, and my wife is also well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he 
who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And going into the second story, which is found later in that same chapter. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Here we have two stories of two miraculous conceptions. The first story we read about is the conception of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's role was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. He was prophesied about in Isaiah when he said the spirit of Elijah would come before the Messiah comes, and that, that was John. So he was, he was come to prepare people's hearts for the message that Jesus would bring and get people ready for the coming of the Lord. And then the second story is the story we probably all know really well, the story of Jesus' conception to his mother, Mary. And what I love about the two stories is the parallels between them and the fact that neither woman should have been able to get pregnant at this point. Neither woman should have been able to have children at this point. On one hand, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we're told were very old and that she was barren. She hadn't been able to have children up until this point, and now in her old age, it was becoming increasingly unlikely that they would be able to have children. And then on the other hand, we have Mary, who was probably in her teenage years, and she was engaged, but she wasn't married yet, and so she was still a virgin. And from what we read, they weren't planning on getting married any time soon. In this culture, engagements could take any number of years. And so one was too old, and one was too young. Yet God was able to use them both in miraculous ways to bring about his plans and his purposes. I love what that says. Regardless of your age or your stage, regardless of what's gone on in your life, your perceived limitations, God can still use you. You're never too old and you're never too young to be used by God and for God to work through your life. However, there are two very different responses initially when the angel first appears to them to tell them about God's plan. The first response we get is Zechariah's in verse 11. While he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar, and Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Just notice here, before we read the next part, Notice the line, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. Even after a lifetime 
of being unable to have children, a lifetime of unsuccessful attempts at getting pregnant, they were still praying for a son. They were still praying for a child. They hadn't allowed their lifetime of barrenness and shame and everything that had happened, they hadn't allowed that to turn their hearts away from God. In fact, earlier in the chapter, it says that God saw them as righteous in his eyes. And the word says that God looks at the heart. And so they hadn't become bitter. They hadn't become discouraged, but they had trust in the fact, now I know, we know that God is good. And so they were still praying for a son. Because in this culture, being unable to have children would have been a shameful thing. This was a shameful thing. This would have caused Elizabeth to be isolated and lonely. Yet instead of turning their backs on God, they remained faithful to him through all of these years, still praying for their breakthrough. In the midst of a dark time for them, they still trusted in God's goodness. But then we read his response to the angel. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. We hear that the angel doesn't take so kindly to that response and causes him to be unable to speak until the child is born. And the second response we get is Mary's, where the angel appears to her and tells her what's going to happen. And she asks the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Two similar responses. They almost sound identical, but we can see that they were asked from a different spirit. For Zechariah, we can see that his question was asked from a place of doubt. How can I be sure this will happen? Or in other words, I'm not ready to trust you at your word yet, God. I would like you to give me a sign. I'd like you to give me something more concrete. I'm not ready just to to live from a place of faith. How can I be sure this will happen? The situation doesn't seem like it's going to. Give me something more concrete. Give me a sign. Prove to me that your word is going to be true. Whereas with Mary, she asks the same question, but she leaves out the word I. We can see that her question is asked from a place of faith. She says, I'm, I'm believing what you're saying. I'd just like some clarification as to how it's actually going to happen. I'm believing what you've said. I'm trusting the word of the Lord, but some detail, because I don't really know how this is going to work, some detail would be great. And then she says the line that brings it all home. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. You know what's interesting is that Zechariah, he was the Lord's servant literally. He was a temple priest. He had most likely served God in the temple since he was a young boy growing up in the temple, spending his life in close proximity to the presence of God, serving him every day, helping the temple function in the nitty-gritty, learning the scriptures, meditating on them, memorizing them, having them set in his heart, learning of the story of his nation up until this point. Yet when an angel visibly appears to him in the temple and promises him something that he and his wife have been praying for for years, you see, this conception would completely remove the shame that his wife had carried for her whole life. The life of loneliness and stigma and isolation that being, able to un, being uh, unable to have children would have brought her. This was all about to be removed due to the grace and the mercy and the love of God, yet his first response as the Lord's servant was doubt. Yet for Mary, the opposite was about to take place. For Mary, this conception was about to bring far more shame and isolation than Elizabeth would have ever experienced in her life. 
Conceiving a child outside of marriage was a far worse situation to be in. Try convincing your friends and family that the child inside you wasn't, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Try and, try and spinning that yarn and see how that is received by people. For Mary, this could have been a death sentence. If she had been found to have committed adultery under the law of Moses, she could be stoned to death. For Mary, this conception could completely ruin her marriage prospects and her future security. For all she knew, Joseph was well within his rights to call off the marriage and send her into a life of loneliness and isolation and poverty. Yet her response was, I am the Lord's servant. Obedience. In the same way that Mary's obedience would bring hope and blessing to the entire world. Our obedience to God will always bring blessing both to ourselves and the people around us. What an example she set for us. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said happen. She didn't know the outcome. She didn't know what it would mean for her life. She didn't really know how it was all gonna play out. She didn't know what her life would look like down the road. All she knew was that God was good, that he was in control, that he had a plan, and she had an obedient heart. And that's what God is looking for from us, an obedience and a trust in him that says, I might not have all the answers. I might not be able to see how this is all going to play out, but I'm going to trust that you have a different perspective on my situation. I'm going to trust that you know me better than I know myself. And I'm going to believe you at your word when you say you have plans and purposes for me that are for good, for me to prosper. Because of my faith in who you are, I will be obedient. And I wonder if we can use this Christmas season to check our hearts again to see if Jesus is truly at the center of our lives. Is he truly at the foundation of all that we do? Are we, live, are we willing to live a life of obedience regardless of what it could mean for tomorrow? But you know, all of this is only possible because Jesus was obedient to the Father. He was obedient in allowing himself to come to earth as a human baby. The king of the universe the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created the very bodies we live in, chose to subject himself to limitation and wrapped himself in a human baby and came to earth 2,000 years ago. He traded the throne of heaven for a dirty wooden manger. He was obedient to the Father's leading throughout his life, listening to his voice, listening to his direction, and his guidance, and ultimately was obedient in going to the cross. Obedient that he would be the ransom for our sin and our mistakes, that he would die in our place so we could again be made right before God, that we could again have a relationship with him. Obedient to the Father's plan to restore us of our brokenness and our mess and free us of the guilt and shame that we carry. And perhaps you're here this morning and that is news to you. Maybe that's something that isn't a reality in your life. You might be sitting here this morning and you wouldn't say that you've accepted Jesus and what he's done for you. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with the God who made you. Can I encourage you, that is the true meaning of Christmas. And amongst all the festivities and Santa 
and the tree and presents and food and fun and family, all of which is great and amazing. But the true reason for Christmas is that Jesus, our Savior, was born so God again could be close to you. That you could know what it means to live a life of freedom, knowing your eternity is secured in heaven. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you do know that, but maybe you've drifted away. Maybe you've atrophied. Maybe you've even been disobedient. You wouldn't say that Jesus is truly at the center of your life. Why don't you use this Christmas season to get yourself right with God again? And so if you're in either of those categories, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to come forward, but you'll know who you are. And I'd just love to pray for you. And so the band's going to lead us in a song soon. So why don't you stand? Because I think it's so important that as followers of Jesus, we carry this message into the world. This is what the Christmas season is all about. This is what the true message is. But this message can only go out because of you and I. And so we've got to have Jesus at the center of everything we do if we're going to make any kind of impact. And so why don't you just close your eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you that you were obedient. Jesus, you were obedient to the Father's will that you would be the ransom for us. The Father's heart was that we wouldn't pay the price for our mistake. We wouldn't pay the price for our sin and our mistakes. And Jesus, you were obedient to God's plan to send you to earth, God. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for being willing to take our place. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who that isn't a reality in your life, in their life. Lord, I pray that they would know this morning what it means to have a life in you. That you would come into their heart, Jesus. For those here who have maybe drifted away, for those who have atrophied, who maybe just need a little bit of course correction, God, I pray that they would have the courage to do that. To say, Jesus, you're the center. You're the framework. I pray that this Christmas, your message will be at the center of everything we do, everything we say, everything we're a part of. That every person we come in contact with this Christmas would be pointed to you, Lord. We thank you for it.